How's it going, everybody? Cautiously Optimistic Podcast. I am Joe. No Luke today, but we've got Austin Broad of the Charging Buffalo along for the ride. Austin, how you doing? Good, man. Uh, first time actually jumping on the pod with you, so I'm actually pretty excited. It's uh, lots to talk about, obviously, with the draft just uh, concluding and free agency coming up, but uh, I'm looking forward to talking Sabres with you. Yeah, glad to have you on. It's been a long time coming. Uh, you're one of the basically the OG members of the Charging Buffalo. I think you were like in the second wave of people coming on. So it's been a long time coming, but now with us recording on Zoom, it's a lot easier to have guests on. So glad to have you on. We had Curtis on last week to preview, and we thought we would do the full circle future of the 716 podcast here, having you on to recap it. It's only fair, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Curtis obviously knows his stuff, and I'm, I'm glad to – tough act to follow, but I'm glad to be following him up. <laughs> absolutely. So before we get started, uh, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you and where they can find your work? Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Austin, A-U-S-T-I-N underscore broad, B-R-O-A-D. And obviously you can find my work on the Charging Buffalo Future of the 716 or uh, FC Hockey, where I am the current head of uh, USA Scouting. Awesome. Yes, Austin does a great, great job, uh, contributed to the Charging Buffalo draft guide. Got a nice warm reception from everyone on Twitter, so that was really nice. Glad people enjoyed it. Sad that the Sabres didn't dive into any of our rounds two through seven draft targets this year, but last year they... They picked a couple, I believe, Poltapov and Nadeau. So, but pretty, we're going to get into it in a little bit, but pretty interesting draft picks from rounds two and on for sure. But before we get into the picks, I wanted to talk about the what could have been trade. Uh, Thursday morning, word came out that the Sabres were going after Matt Murray of the Ottawa Senators and they're. A trade was basically agreed to, but Matt Murray did not want to come to Buffalo because he had uh, no trade clause. So he nixed the trade. Darren Dreger reporting that the trade would have been Matt Murray in Ottawa would have been retaining 25% of his salary along with the seventh overall pick going to Buffalo for the 16th pick. So Buffalo would move up quite a bit. They would pick seven, nine, and 28. And didn't happen, obviously. Ottawa goes on to trade that pick along with a couple other picks to Chicago for Alex Debrinkit. So if I'm an Ottawa fan, a pretty solid move there. They got Debrinkit for pretty cheap. And in the process, uh, Matt Murray made the biggest save of his Ottawa Senators career. Yeah, I'm, I, what a... I don't even know what to call it. Like, a, 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 not even a heel to like, what a turn by Pierre Dorian to go from potentially offloading seventh overall to get rid of Matt Murray to then acquiring a player like Alex Debrinkit, who's coming off back to back 40 goal seasons. I don't really know what Dorian was thinking with the Buffalo Matt Murray trade, but um, yeah, Matt Murray might be a new public enemy in Buffalo for literally no fault of his own, just exercising his right to use his no trade clause. But man, like, I don't even know who Buffalo would have been targeting at seven, but that would have been one heck of a deal because Otto was also supposedly uh, retaining salary on Murray's contract too. So yes, twenty five percent. That's that's no joke too. Yeah, that's quite a bit. Uh, and would have to assume that the Sabers wanted Murray. It's not like they would have just bought him out. A lot of people were saying that oh, they can just buy out Murray, but that really messes with the 
the salary because he, I think he's guaranteed like seven million this year, eight million next year. His contract is backloaded, so I'm assuming even the Sabers could have said, "Hey, we'll buy you out and you can go wherever you want." But that also messes with the money coming into his pockets this year and next year because with the buyout, it gets spread out a little further. But I feel like at seven, Sabers probably go with. Marco Casper, who ended up going eight to Detroit. Uh, I have a feeling they were pretty keen on him at the ninth pick, but he ended up going one spot before. And then I feel like Savoy still would have been the pick at nine, depending on what Detroit does in this fantasy land. But that would have been quite a quite a move. Uh, I guess going into the picks here, uh, ninth overall, Matthew Savoy. I, for one, very excited about this. Savoy was one of my like top three guys. I was really zeroing in on at pick nine. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Like you're probably right about Casper being the target at seven, if they get there, but I'm glad it worked out the way it did because who knows if Savoy or Savoy is there at ninth. Uh, at one point I had him as my number two skater in this entire class. Obviously I, I bumped him down a little bit as we got closer to the draft, but I always assumed he was a uh, top five talent. He brings Absolutely. an element that the Sabres haven't really had in a prospect since like they drafted Jack Eichel, I know like Jack Quinn, JJ Paterka are great, but Savoy has that feeling like when he picks up the puck, he can make something happen every time the puck's on his stick. And that's kind of obviously to a little bit lesser extent to what Eichel did, but that is what Eichel did every time he touched the puck. You knew he could take the puck down the ice, do something crazy, bring you to the edge of your seat and score a goal. They kind of now have that with, with uh, Savoy. He brings that electrifying factor that maybe the Sabres have just been lacking and I'm very glad that they decided to go with uh, a highly skilled player with a lot of offensive upside with a ninth overall pick, because like, I know obviously Quinn has turned, had a high ceiling when they took him at eighth overall, but it, for some reason, it just feels different this time around. It feels like they matched that high end ceiling with kind of the general opinion, which was this kid deserved to go this high. And I think he's going to be a really special player for Buffalo. Yeah. I'm completely with you there. Uh, I think at the end of the day, I had Savoy at seven, but that tier, I think I had like a tier four at the top and then like a tier of like six guys after that. He's he's a fantastic player. So I think even if the Sabres had the seventh pick, I would have been extremely happy with Savoy there. Even at five, like I would have been super excited. Uh, and a lot of people will look at his size and see, oh, five, <laughs> nine, that's no good. The Sabres need to get bigger, even though, to my surprise, I was looking at their roster. Jacob Bryson is the only player that will be on the roster next year who is under 5'11". That's just shocking to me because so many people are always saying, oh, they got to get bigger or too small, this, this, and that. And they've only got one guy who is legitimately undersized. And Now, Savoy joins that group at 5'9", but I was doing some digging in to try and do some research on what's his potential to fill out to. And his brother was actually drafted by the Edmonton Oilers. And funny enough, when in the 2020 draft, when the Sabres moved up for JJ Paterka, the Sabres traded a third round pick to the Sharks in the process. And then the Sharks ended up trading that pick to the Oilers and the Oilers selected Carter Savoy, who they just signed to an ELC had a, Nice couple of years at the University of Denver, and he's turning pro now. But, anyways, also five foot nine is Carter Savoy. 
And I believe he's about like 15 pounds heavier than his brother. So Matt Savoy, maybe he grows an inch, inch or two, ideally, but probably not considering his brother is already the same size as him. But there's potential there for him to put on about 10, 15 pounds of muscle. He's already about 180 pounds. So there's a silver lining there for the size people, but I'm all in on this pick. I'm extremely happy. He's not a perimeter player. Some person was in my mentions yesterday saying, oh, just what we need another perimeter player. But if you watch a guy play, he's always involved. He's a tenacious, high speed, skilled. He's got an elite shot and he's pretty sound defensively too. I watched a bunch of ice games this year. Um, Like you said, Every time the puck is on his stick, you can tell something dangerous is going to happen. And, man, I'm just super excited to have Matthew Savoy as a Buffalo Sabre. Yeah, I mean, the whole size thing, it's exactly like I, I tweeted after the first round. I said, I don't think tonight could have gone much better for Adams and company. And then a bunch of people said, how can you say that? You don't know how the picks are going to turn out or we didn't add any size. And it's like, okay. Uh, I mean, if size is like literally like just size, a person's actual height and weight is the only thing that matters to you. I don't know. I don't know what to say because we already have Tage Thompson, Alex Tuck, Matthias Samuelson, Owen Power, Rasmus Dolly, and like we, they have big guys. But guess what? Those big guys that I just mentioned, they're also really skilled. Yeah, so if, exactly. Like I think people mistake size for like, you know, quote unquote grit and toughness and I'd rather have highly skilled players that like, like Savoy who aren't perimeter players that aren't afraid to mix it up and everything, but their primary focus is putting the puck in the net because that's what the Buffalo Sabres need. That's what the NHL is turning into. So yeah, for those people that want size, Buffalo has size. They have literal big players on their team. It just so happens. Giant is their number one center. Yeah. Who can score 30 goals a year. Like it's, it's just so happens that their big players are also skilled. So I understand people wanting, you know, bigger Mm -hmm stronger players but at the same time just because you're five nine doesn't mean you can't turn into a strong player like you said Savoy has room to fill out you know Oslin will have room to fill out you know Coolidge will have room to fill out like these these guys will fill out they will add weight when Tage Thompson was drafted he he was a beanpole he was thin oh yeah he's added weight over the years because that's what players do so yeah I, I always think it's funny when the the size argument comes into play because Buffalo actually has like you said, Bryson's the only person on their roster who might not even be on the roster next year. It's not exactly. a guarantee <laughs> who would be under six foot. So it's like, okay, if that's all you're complaining about, <clears throat> I guess, I guess you got that because yes, they, they were short players, but to me, that doesn't, to me, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. I'm looking at who went after Savoy in between Savoy and Ostland. And I mean, he's the smallest out of the bunch. Uh, Connor geeky, I think Geeky's about 6'3 or 6'4, Pavel Mintukov. I think if the Sabres picked Pavel Mintukov, a lot of people would be furious with that. Another left shot defenseman. If the, I'm telling you right now, if the Sabres pick Connor Geeky over Matt Savoy, I would I would be furious. Uh like I said, watch a ton of Winnipeg Ice games and Geeky's a nice player, but like nowhere near the impactfulness of a Matthew Savoy is just he doesn't have that dynamic feel to his game and like Paul Hamilton on WGR the day of the draft talking about how he would prefer Connor Geeky simply because he's bigger and you can tell that he has not watched one Winnipeg Ice game but like if you want size like are the Sabres going to pick Rutger McGroarty at nine I think we're both 
pretty big McGrady fans, but yeah, I don't think so. I think this was the right pick. Oh, for sure. This was easily the right pick. I mean, the only thing that maybe it could have said was like Casper wasn't even an option. Maybe, but like Karamaki didn't go till 15th anyway. I think that would have been a reach. Like Savoy was the guy. And honestly, I, we kind of talked about it in our, in our group chat is I thought he could be there at nine, but in re- reality, I expected him to go well before nine. And when he was there, I think it, all of us kind of pretty much jumped on the same thing in our group chat was, yeah, make this guy the pick and let's get out of here. And when he was actually announced, like we were all ecstatic. I thought that Ottawa at seven could yeah. have been an option, but once Chicago got that pick on the ESPN broadcast, they were saying they're chasing a defenseman here. So they end up going with, Kevin Korchinski at seven, which that really helped out the Sabres there. Uh, <clears throat> so thank you. they help out the Sabres a little bit here too, even though the trade doesn't happen. Uh, but moving on to the 16th pick, the pick that the Sabres got from the Jack Eichel trade. Uh, this was an interesting one. I was really hoping that Jonathan LeCaramaki would fall here. Um, but no, Oslin's a very good consolation prize. I think... I probably had him a little lower here. There's a few guys I think I would prefer to him here, but I, they definitely wanted another versatile player who can play center or wing. Uh, I loved him at the World Under 18s for Team Sweden where they won gold. Uh, the Sabres are getting a really talented two-way center here. And mm, I want to kind of compare him to like a, a, a Frank Nazar light, if that makes sense. They're both... Yeah very speedy, talented two-way centers. So the Sabres, they got their dynamic centerman or winger in Matthew Savoy at nine. And I think a lot of people would have liked to have a Frank Nazar, but they got, I want to say the next best thing in Noah Oslin at 16. Yeah. Oslin was a really good pick. And I think it's also showing one, a pattern with Adams and his staff. And it's that we'll get into this with the Coolidge pick as well, but they really value that world U18 tournament because if you look at what they did with the Rosine pick last year and now Osland and Coolidge this year who had great performances at the World U18s like Osland was a beast but the other thing about Osland that people really don't realize is he's an effective two-way player he's got a relentless motor and I think once he learns to attack with speed more often you're going to see that offensive game get to the next level that'll come with confidence that'll come with as he grows older and gets more playing experience but he's an extremely gifted passer he's a hard-working two-way player he's he's a Swedish hockey player that's that's what they are in Sweden they're they're two-way players who have great puck skills and that's what Oslin's going to bring to this team and like you said the positional versatility and I do like the comparison of a Frank Nazar light because Oslin does a lot of the same things that Nazar does it just might not be as recognized right now because we don't really get to see a lot of you know Swedish junior hockey over here unless we're unless it's there are guys like you and me who go out and look for it so right. I think Oslin's <laughs> Yeah, Olsen's going to end up being a pretty solid pick. Like you said, I kind of compare it a lot to the Rosine pick a little bit earlier than I would have taken him, but the Sabres were strong about their convictions for him, and they took him at 16, and I I really do think he's got a much higher upside than people think, but also at the same time, like we kind of talked about, he's a safer pick. At the very least, he's going to be an NHL player. It just depends on how impactful will he be. That's that's truly what Olsen's development will be about. Yeah, I think going into the draft, I think I sent out a tweet saying, I want three picks. I want the safe pick. I want a fun pick, and I want a risky pick. I wouldn't even say that they really hit on the risky pick. I was anticipating a Brad Lambert or a Danila Yurov at yep. 16 or 28, but 
they definitely the fun pick was Matthew Savoy, and I would say the safe pick is Noah Oslin. But that safe means I would say he's going to be an NHL player, but it doesn't mean his ceiling is super low. I think Noah Oslin has the potential to be a very solid second line center who can play in penalty kill, maybe even play on the power play as well. Uh, I don't know if you saw what Megan Chaika tweeted. Yeah. She tweeted out a, a graph of a graphic of Oslin's passing in the offensive zone. It's just amazing that man is, can just thread the needle with his passing as well. So very Sabres got a total package here. I think one thing to complain about size. And if that's what, the gripes are going to be with their first two picks here. That's great. Like, yeah. There's no that means you're just looking for something to complain about. Exactly. And it looks like he's going to stay over in your garden next year. They actually got relegated. So he's going to play in the Elsvenskin, which probably a good landing spot for him. Uh, considering he's just freshly drafted. So maybe he plays a year in the Elsvenskin. Maybe your garden gets promoted back to the SHL after a strong year here. So Interesting there for sure. And then maybe he's in Buffalo in a couple of years. Uh, question for you. If say Vancouver didn't pick Jonathan LaCara Mackey, uh, who's the pick? If both of those guys are available, would you have still gone with Oastland? Me personally, I would have gone with LaCara Mackey, yeah, but me too. that's just because like, I thought he was a p- potential option for nine. He's a really high offensive upside guy. He's a great shooter. I mean, Again, we're seeing a theme with Adams drafting over the last years is he values high, like very talented shooters, which we'll get into when we talk about the rest of the class. But uh, I really don't know. Like, it seems like no, Oslin was their guy because, like you said, conventional, you know, most public rankings had Oslin ranked a little bit lower and Buffalo was totally comfortable taking him at 16th. So I do wonder if they would have taken the Karamaki, but it seems that they were very high on Oakland, so I wouldn't I wouldn't be all surprised if he would have ended up being the pick whether Karamaki was uh, there or not. Yeah, it sounds like he was their guy, but in a lot of the mock drafts heading into the draft, I feel like most of them had Karamaki as the guy at number nine overall. So yeah. who knows what direction they go there, but it seems like they were very high on Noah Oslin. And another player that they were very high on, man, oh, man, they really like Yuri Kulich. And he goes at pick 28 as a part of the Sam Reinhardt trade. That trade's now complete. Sam Reinhardt for Yuri Kulich and Devin Levi. So I'm very big on Yuri Kulich. He had a great, as you said, had a great world under 18 tournament for Czechia. Tough to say that now. I'm so used to Czech Republic. <laughs> yeah. But goal scoring machine plays center wing versatility. The Sabres have all of a sudden replenished that center position most of their young centers are already in the nhl so a lot of their prospects have graduated so now they've got three very talented centers to the mix uh yuri coolich i think i commented on him in the one of the articles the reaction articles this is the victor olofsson replacement right here in that spot on the power play without a doubt i can see it he's just got a bomb of a shot from all areas in the offensive zone. Yeah, he is again with me in my work. I see a lot of my work was centered on the USNT, like the United States national development team program in the USHL NCAA. But when I watched the world U18s, Coolidge immediately caught my eye. Like he, 
he feasted against the U.S. in that in that performance that he put on there. He was a dominant player. He's a strong two-way presence. He was one of the best, actually the leading U20 score, scorer in the Czechia uh, Pro League there. He's got great off-the-puck movement, so that's why I think he can play center or the wing because his work away from the puck to get open for his shot is phenomenal. And like you said, actually in our TCB draft guide, I literally said, Coolidge would be the ideal Victor Olison replacement if that's the route that Buffalo decides to go. It doesn't seem like Victor Olison will be going anywhere anytime soon, but having another shooter like Coolidge in the pipeline, you know, now you have Coolidge, you have Jack Quinn, you have Victor Olison, Tage Thompson, like you have guys that can absolutely fire the puck and play multiple positions. I love the Coolidge pick. I actually, I think it was, I think they were still by, going by the instigators, but, uh, Craig Button was on with uh, Duffer and Marty, and I do remember him talking specifically about Coolidge, but I thought it was interesting because they were talking about him maybe at 16, which kind of led me to believe that Buffalo was very high on this kid. And now we know based off what Adams and, and Fortin and all of them were saying was, yeah, they love this kid. And I, I wouldn't have been surprised if they had tried to trade up for him because it feels like they liked him that much. And I think he's got a tremendous upside. And at the very least, I think you're getting a top nine scoring forward who is going to feast on the power play, kind of like what Olofsson has been yeah definitely and we have reason to believe that cool might have been in the sabers top 10 on their list uh we were hearing that they were extremely high on him even as early as the ninth overall pick so i who knows maybe if savoy and casper are gone by nine is cool the pick here with the ninth pick, who knows? But Jerry Fortin in his post-draft press conference, he made it sound like these three guys were ranked in their top 15, all three of them. So, yeah, they've got to be really, really pleased. I think everyone, every team is happy with their draft, unless you're Colorado and you have, like, two picks yeah. in the sixth and seventh round. But, yeah, getting three guys that are most likely in your top 15 – that's got to be really exciting for the Sabres. But one common theme with these three guys, high, high compete level. They all can score. They're all talented. They all have speed. And that's something that the Sabres are really building. The common theme, even with the later round picks, all producers, they can all score lots of forwards going back the last couple of years. They have built a system, a crop of players. They're young and they can score and that's something that the Sabres have had tons of trouble with over this playoff drought. They are probably the lowest scoring team in the league most of the time. Top, bottom five at least. So they're really building something here. And I love this Yuri Coolidge pick. Yeah, Coolidge. I mean, I kind of talked about it. I loved, I loved their ninth and sixth. Like Sav- Savoy is probably... It's hard to argue against him, obviously, being the most impactful player. But if I had to pick a favorite pick out of the first round, as much as I love Savoy, it's it's Coolidge just because what he brings to the table. And like you said, common theme with all three of these guys, they can play multiple positions, they work their tails off, and they have high offensive upsides, which if you kind of look at the way Adams has drafted in his three drafts, that's really what they they seem to be now turning into a team that swings for high ceilings when you look, especially in the first round, when you look at Jack Quinn. Uh, you look at Owen Power, Isaac Rosine is a very high ceiling player. Uh, and now the three that they added this year. So it's, it seems to be a theme developing with Adams in, in his uh, front office there. And it's actually something that is welcome to see considering how Botterill drafted in the first round and during his tenure. Yeah, definitely. It seemed like we've got three Kevin Adams drafts now. So now we're able to 
for 2023, assuming he's still the GM, uh, which he probably will be, hopefully. I think he's doing a good job. Yeah. We can maybe identify some players more easily uh, as far as draft targets go. Now, like, uh, Quinton Musty's a good pick and all, but I think a year ago I would have said, oh, they're just going to pick him because he's from Buffalo. They're one of the guys who want to be here, but it seems like they're digging more deep now, which that's a welcoming sight, I would say. Absolutely. Yeah, so I'm looking at the first round here. Are there any guys that you would have preferred in these picks? These, like see, All three of these guys just seem like the perfect pick. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the guys that I would have wanted with the 16th overall pick actually – before Oslin, whether it was, you know, McGrody, LaCaramacchi, uh, you know, maybe Chuck, Nazar, like there, I, I wouldn't have been all that comfortable, you know, with, you know, Mirosh Nichenko at 16. That's a little too risky for me. I know there was a lot of smoke with Yurov. I did start to buy into it a little bit, but at the same time, as great as Yurov would have been, uh, the safeness of Oslin is actually a lot more comforting than the potential risk that would have came right. with drafting Yurov. But I think maybe that's the one that was the common theme with Sabres Twitter, at least was they were complaining that it wasn't Yurov. And don't get me wrong. I get it. Yurov is a potential top 10 talent in this draft, but I, I have no issue them with them going with Oslin at 16. I think Yurov might be the only other exception there. Yeah, I'm, I agree with you there. I was kind of surprised that it wasn't Yurov, but from what the charging Buffalo was hearing, on draft day, it didn't even sound like Yurov was getting under any consideration yeah. with the 16th pick. It sounds like it was either Oastland or Coolidge. It's like yeah. I, these were their guys. They got their guys. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So that's awesome. So first round ends, second round begins. We're looking at the board. It's looking pretty good, I would yeah. say. Like Ryan Chesley's available. Paul Ludwinski, Noah Warren, Julian Lutz, Luca Dalbalbaluz, T.S. Havlid is a guy who I was really interested in. And what do they do? They pick a goaltender. Unbelievable. I didn't, it didn't even cross my mind. Literally, I don't think I had a fleeting thought about the Sabres picking a goalie at pick 41. I don't know about you, but did not even cross my mind. And they end up going with, a giant goaltender from Finland, Topias Linenen. Yeah, I had no inkling of a goalie going in the first three rounds of this draft in general. It ended up, Seattle ended up taking a goalie later in the second round too. So I guess goalies were a lot higher on the NHL scouts boards than they were maybe in the scouting communities boards because this overall was not the strongest goaltender class, especially when you compare it to what we've seen you know, with uh, Spencer Knight, Yaroslav Askarov, Sebastian Kosa, Jesper Wallstad, et cetera. But uh, yeah, this was a bit off the board. I think, I don't know. I mean, obviously there were some guys that went right after leaning in that I probably, well, obviously would have had higher on my board. This pick wasn't, it wasn't the most popular, obviously, uh, because one, the value just doesn't seem there for a goalie at 41 in this class. I mean, it, I don't know, at least to us personally, it wasn't. So I, I don't really know what to expect from Lena. Like you said, he's a big body. His numbers obviously weren't the greatest in Finland, but, you know, I mean, I guess if you want to compare Ukopeka Lukanen's numbers weren't that great in Finland either, and he was a he was a second-round pick by the Buffalo Sabres. So I guess maybe 
they see they said they see something in his upside they've talked to a lot of his goalie coaches in finland they have a lot of respect for their goalie coaches opinions and they said they've heard nothing but good things so the good news is this guy isn't going to see buffalo for at least three four years at the earliest and by buffalo i mean like the organization itself whether it be rochester or the echl so Mm -hmm. he's got a lot of time to develop so maybe you know a year or two from now goalies are voodoo right we say it all the time so Yes. It's impossible. It's impossible to judge how a goalie is going to turn out in a couple of years. But I guess just for us, it, the value just didn't make sense at forty-one. But here we are, and who knows what could happen? Yeah, I'm. I'm hoping that it works out. Um, yeah, like I, I don't necessarily like the pick. I respect the swing, yep. w- without a doubt. And for a team who has been spending the better part of seven years trying to find their future elite starting goaltender. I respect it. Um, are there guys I would have rather had? There, there's a lot of them, <laughs> a lot of them. Yeah. Um, but Hey, it's okay. Uh, judging by looking at the rest of their picks, I'm okay with it because so, in the third round, they got a very exciting prospect as well. At 74th overall, Victor Nuchev or Noichev? I think it's Nuchev. Okay, Victor Nuchev, I believe. Okay, so 40 goal score in the MHL on a terrible team. And according to Jerry Fortin, they had a first round grade on him. And they also had a first round grade on Leninen as well. So they had, they got five players that they had first round grades on, which I'm, I don't know if that's all that uncommon. I'm sure there's a bunch of teams who, top that out but the reason for uh leaning in they wanted to draft a goal they wanted to draft a goalie and they had a gigantic drop off between him and the rest of the goaltenders which yeah it is an extremely weak year for goaltenders and so i guess if you're in draft one you might as well pick the best one why not go with that conventional yeah. wisdom but going by the rest of their drafts um, it's okay. They, yeah, yeah I I, I'm okay with it. Yeah. So I was a little, little annoyed, but Hey, what are you going to do? I trust that this, uh, this regime, uh, Victor, Victor Noichev, 40 goal scorer Russian. <laughs> they had him as the, their third best Russian on the board. So I was pretty annoyed that they passed on Gleb Trikazov. Uh, T, all the TCB was very high on him. And I guess I would assume that they have him rated higher than Trikazov, assuming that Marashnichenko and Yurov were their one and two in whatever order it was. Yeah, it's hard to imagine anyone being ahead of those two in terms of the top two Russians. I think that was pretty unanimous that Yurov and Marashnichenko were the top two. But hearing them have, you know, Noichev as high as they did and hearing Fortin kind of referenced how high the analytics department was on this 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 kid was actually pretty encouraging because a lot of people I know say, Oh, Buffalo has an all-star analytics staff. Do they actually pay attention to it? Well, it turns out it appears that they actually do pay attention to it because they seem to have played a big part in why they drafted this kid. Like you said, he scored 40 goals on a very bad Russian junior team. Uh, He had 40 goals. The next closest player in terms of goals was 16. He had 67 points. The next closest person in him in total points was like 40. So he had as many goals as the second place player had total points. Like he was the entire team in the MHL. So I wonder what 
the future holds for him if he stays in the MHL, if he gets the pull-to-pop treatment, maybe goes to the VHL, or if he finds a way to get into the KHL lineup, who knows? But it seems this pick kind of had, after the, 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 you know, the, the dampening of the mood with the goalie pick, this pick kind of had me all the way back in because this is an extremely exciting pick. Again, another theme that we've kind of seen with Adams, they went from drafting no Russians to taking, they had four Russians last year. They took two Russians this year, but like one straight out of Russia. So like Nuchev was a very exciting pick. And I think if they can find a way to get him over here, he can turn into something special because I, the highlights of his shot, like they're unbelievable and he's got a ton of skill with the puck. Yeah. I don't know a whole lot about him, but fun player. I'm, I hope he, they're able to get him over here sooner rather than later. Yeah. But so you got a guy that you ranked in the first round in the third, there's, Nothing wrong with that. Uh, that's super exciting. Uh, I want I want to ask you before before we get too far removed from the topic, but going back to Yuri Coolidge, he was selected in the CHL import draft by the Cape Breton Screaming Eagles of the Quebec League. Where do you think he plays next year? Because he was saying that he expects to be in the Sabres lineup at the start of next season. I don't think that's going to happen unless he just blows the doors off the place, but do you think they sign him, bring him over to Rochester, uh, or does he stay in in the Czech League, or does he go play in the Quebec League? Yeah, I mean, I know he said he expects to be in the NHL, which is obviously a good thing. I don't think you'd, you know, I don't think you would ever bat it. You, you'd love the confidence that he has shown there, but I think it'll basically come down to the Czech Elite League or the QMJHL. I mean. If he comes over to Cape Breton, obviously having, you know, your European players right, not right in your backyard, but in North America makes it a lot easier for you to keep, you know, uh, an eye on him. So I think Cape Breton would be the ideal situation. And I know we've seen it before with a few Sabres prospects. Like I think, you know, Lukanen went really high in his import draft year and he ended up coming over and dominating for Sudbury. So I think if that was the preference, that would be what Buffalo wants, but uh, I could see him staying over in Europe for another season. I think as of right now, he's still under contract with uh, his Czechia club, but it'll, it'll ultimately come down to, I think, what he wants to do. But I, I think right now he's leaning towards Europe, but who knows? Well, the fact he was he was a third overall pick in that's, the import draft. That's, too, so that's that still an interesting wrinkle there yeah. that, that might have him come over here. I mean, it feels like a lot of these European players have kind of said, Oh, it depends on what my NHL club wants for me. I don't see right. why Coolidge would be any different. I think if Buffalo says, we'll sign you to your ELC, bring it or at least bring it to camp and then we'll figure something out. If they want him to go to Cape Breton, I don't think he's the type of player to say no. Yeah. And I'm looking at his leap prospect page. Now it looks like he is signed for one more year in with his Czech club. So we'll see what happens. Obviously never a bad thing to keep playing against men. Grown yeah. man, he, he would absolutely dominate the Quebec League for Cape Breton, though. Yeah. So, and Rochester wouldn't be a bad thing either. They could use more forwards, um, but they are getting Rosine and Kisikov likely in their lineup, so maybe it won't be as much of a pressing issue. But back to the the order of picks here. I uh, got sidetracked there for a second, but their fourth round pick, Matt's Lindgren, a left shot D from the Kamloops Blazers. So his father actually played in the NHL as well, also named Mats Lindgren. But looking at the highlights that were posted today, really exciting 
uh, skilled defenseman here. So I think I'm assuming the Sabres probably have this guy ranked a lot higher as well, maybe even in the second round. But he's an exciting player. They finally pick a defenseman here. It's kind of kind of sucks he's not right-handed, but uh, Jerry Fortin said he is able to play both sides. So we'll see how he fits into the lineup going forward. But an interesting name to say the least. Yeah, Lindgren, like I said, I kind of, when I was talking to Curtis about it, I said he plays, quote-unquote, like the modern way, which is basically, he's a great skater, he's got great puck skills, he loves to jump up into the play and play that, you know, that offensive style of game, which is what you want to see from, you know, blue liners nowadays. It seems that we're getting closer and closer to, quote-unquote, positionless hockey, which is always a good thing. Um, Yeah, the left-handed shot was a little bit of a wrinkle there, like you said. They said he can play both sides, which is really not that uncommon. I know we do make a big deal of the right-handed shot defenseman, and it's obviously a pressing need, but obviously Buffalo took one later in the draft. And I do wonder if maybe they have something planned with the right shot D because obviously Darlene's moved over there. It looks like he's going to you know, start over there at least to start this year. Maybe they're going to acquire somebody that we're not expecting because while we all said it was a pressing need, obviously the Sabres didn't think it was nearly as pressing because they only took 2D in this draft and one was a left, one was a right. Yeah, and the other defenseman they picked, we can go right to him, actually. Yeah. Was that fifth round? Yes. Yeah. I'm going to try and pronounce his first name. Uh, Veselod Komarov. And both of us have never heard of this man before. Uh, plays for the Quebec Ramparts of the Quebec League. Was an import pick. He's from Russia, right shot defenseman. Uh, actually, I'm assuming that they discovered this player because Viljami Mariala, their one of their late round picks last year uh, was a teammate of his. So assuming that's where they unearthed him uh, looking at his elite prospects page, nothing really jumps off the page, but I guess he's not that great of a skater, but there's some tools there. Yeah. Based off of what uh, Patrick wall was kind of saying to uh, Lance, I was the Buffalo news. He's got all the tools that you want. He, the skating needs a little bit of improvement, but I was looking at, uh, I think Curtis showed it to us, but his, his shot chart from Instat, he, he loves to get below the circles. He loves to jump up in the play in the offensive zone, which again is kind of a theme with the way that, you know, defensemen are starting to play the game. And, you know, if his coach says he has all the tools in the world, he just needs to put it together. As crazy as it sounds, I, I trust Buffalo to develop a player like that because it appears that they're starting to have some luck in terms of, you know, a guy like Tage Thompson or, you know, Matthias Samuelson turning into what he's turned into. It feels that Buffalo has become pretty solid at developing players, which is crazy to say because finally we, we yeah, exactly we've been <laughs> a black hole for years. So if I was ever going to trust a prospect to be developed, uh, it's by this group that we have in place now. And we'll see what happens. Like you said, I watched a lot of Mariala last year in Quebec because I really do like him. I think he's got a really good shot at being a bottom six player in Buffalo. And I don't really remember hearing Komarov's names ever so i mean this one threw me for a loop but it also feels like since the bottle days buffalo always takes one player at some point in this draft that literally no one has ever heard of and this seems to be the pick yeah in fifth round it is what it is um yep they another common theme as we're talking about common themes they're picking russians and that's something that uh they what they go 2016 to 2021 without picking a russian vasily glotov yeah. Uh, development camp fan favorite and going all the way until Prokhor Poltapov first pick in the second round. A big gap, but we'll take it. Also, that pick, a free pick for taking on Will Butcher. Yep. That was the fifth round pick. 
that with that Will Butcher trade, I wonder if Kevin Adams gave Tom Fitzgerald a ring and said, listen, we gave you guys a fifth round pick for Wayne Simmons and he played like seven games for us. Can we have it back? Yeah. That's what I like to think here. So they, they got the pick for taking on Will Butcher and his contract was watching the draft with my grandpa today. And he was telling me how they should bring Will Butcher back. And I put him in his place really quick. Uh, <laughs> not a, not a big Will Butcher fan, but he really likes him for some reason. I think he likes to look back on his university of Denver days. But yeah, no longer the same player, and Will Butcher will probably be playing in the American League next year. But moving on to their sixth-round pick, Jake Richard of the USHL from Florida. And you look at his point production, it's really good for the Muskegon Lumberjacks. And one thing that sticks out to me, very late birthday, an August birthday, basically one of the younger players in this draft. Uh, he's going to go to UNH, which coincidentally, that's where third round pick last year, Steven Sardarian is going as well. Not sure if he's going uh, this coming season, but he's definitely going for at least two years from now. So there's a chance he might go back to Muskegon to play another year. But yeah, an interesting prospect here. And again, you look at his production, another point per game player. That's a common theme with their late round picks are all hitting point per game. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I like the Richard pick a lot. I mean, he's, he's a power, he plays a little bit of a power game. He's got really high scoring upside. McKean's hockey actually had him ranked at 111, which is I think one of the only like public scouting groups that had him ranked. So I thought that was pretty cool to see. I watched a lot of Muskegon mostly to watch, you know, Owen Mellenbacher because I he had the junior Sabres connection. He was from my hometown. So like I watched him a lot because I really like Mellenbacher's power game, but Richard always caught my eye a couple of times during that game. So I kind of, I never really paid close, close attention to him, but I did have a few mental notes about him throughout the year. And I think he's got a ton of room to add a little bit of weight to his frame to, which will help him with that power game. Like you said, he's an extremely late birthday, which means he's one of the younger players in this draft. He won't be 18 until August, like you said. So I think, there is some potential with this guy to to turn into something. I literally told Curtis, I was like, keep this name like on your radar for a few years down the road because it seems that Buffalo has done a pretty good job at hitting on a few of their late round picks, whether it's, you know, you have Victor Olis and then you had, you know, Linus Weissback looks like a, at least a potential pro player. Uh, last year, Nikita Novikov, if, if his contract situation in Russia gets figured out, I, I won't be surprised if he's a top six defenseman or at least a seventh defenseman in Buffalo. They've kind of been hitting on their later round picks this guy is a name that I have in mind just for a few years down the road, because I think he could be a potential hit for Buffalo. Yeah, definitely. So he's, he's going to be someone I'm keeping my eye out for And especially if he's going to UNH, you can watch two Sabres prospects in one year. Sardarian's going there kind of a disappointing year for Sardarian post draft, but hoping for the best for him. And it's kind of cool to see UNH kind of having a revival here. They, haven't really been relevant for a while. I feel like they haven't been relevant since Tage Thompson played there. But, yeah, cool pick. Not very common to see a guy from Florida get drafted, but there were a couple this year. I'm pretty sure, isn't Seamus Casey from Florida? I think he was from Florida. Yeah, Yeah. something like that. But it's cool to see a diverse background of uh, non-traditional hockey markets get selected more often. But moving on. They had another sixth round pick, Gustav Carlson. 
This is from the Robert Hag trade. Part of the Rasmus Ristolainen trade tree. Uh, Gustav Carlson, another Swede. Uh, I believe their last three picks are all from Sweden. Yes. Uh, so they're kind of reverting back to the Jason Botterill mindset of picking uh, Americans, Swedes, Finns, guys who you can have their rights for four years rather than the CHL route of two years. Uh, Carlson, I forget what team he played for. Orobro? Uh, uh, or 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 yeah, the the J20 team. He actually got into two SHL games, but I don't know how much he played, but he was awesome in J20 National. If you include the playoffs, he played 46 games and he scored 35 goals. You kind of talked about it. It's a theme with their late-round picks. They're getting high point producers with high offensive upside. And Carlson, again, like we talked, like I talked about earlier, the theme with them seems to be guys who can just shoot the puck. And if you look at Kulich, Carlson, you know, Noichev, that's what these guys can do. They can absolutely fire the puck and Carlson. Hopefully he gets a, he's probably going to start with the J 20 team again next year, which is fine, but hopefully he can get into some more uh, SHL games and kind of make his presence felt there because I would really love to see this kid play against men because he was just, he was, he was great against, I know 48 points in 41 games isn't like the most dominant thing ever in junior hockey, but to produce that over a point per game in J 20 hockey as, you know, as a younger guy, it's impressive. It's impressive. A nice center sniper to the mix, too. Yeah. Uh, is he an overager? He's October 31st birthday, so he's one of the older players. Yeah, so uh, he just he missed the cu- he missed the cutoff uh, by like, like a month days. and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, a month and a half. Yeah, so a nice swing. I Like, you can't really look at any of these picks towards the end outside of the Komarov pick and say, like, they didn't really swing for the fences here. Yeah. And that's like, you look at the bottle drafts. We just, a couple months, last month, there were three prospects from one draft of the bottle draft where they just were like, okay, we don't want you anymore. Yeah. Uh, all those defensemen from that one year, uh, Kronholm, Wars Crew, uh, Kukinen, those guys, like, yep. they're really swinging for the fences here. And I'm excited for development camp to see all these. Like I'm, I feel like I'm more excited for the late round picks than the the first round picks. I want to see what they have in these guys. Yeah, exactly. We kind of expect big things from the top guys, but it'll be really cool to see what these later round picks can do. And I mean, the kind of the theme with their last three picks, the Swedish guys, like you said. I mean, we'll get into Radkovich, Burns, and next, but they were all, you know, their, their final pick was an overager, and then Carlson and you know Radkovich, Burnson were Oct- late October birthdays, oh three birth year. So like everyone was like a little bit older, a little bit. You know, a little bit, that might be a reason why they produce as much as they did, but I'm excited to see what these guys will do in development camp against the big guys, because that's what the best part of development camp is, is there's always someone who kind of steals the show that you weren't expecting to. And I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being Gustav Carlson, because with the few times that I did see him, he, he was pretty impressive. Yeah. And now going into Ratkovich Bernston, tough name to pronounce. It <laughs> seems like the Sabres also have a quota of having a super long hyphenated <laughs> Swede, uh, William von Barnakow Lofberg last year with the late round pick, who he's looking pretty good as well. And now another one here. And you look at his stat sheet 49 points in 47 games for the Fralunda squad in the J20 league. So I'm excited. Like they're really, I feel like I'm a broken record here. They're really swinging for the fences. And you're not seeing guys who 
you know, they're picking a six, four goon that some of these suburban hockey dads want who have got 10 points and two goals. Like they're, they're trying to build a really talented farm system and I'm loving it. Any thoughts on him? Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I do like him. He's got some offensive production in junior hockey, which is good to see. Like you said, they're, they're swinging for the fences again. He's, you know, you know, people might want to cover their ears. He's a smaller player. So he, he's going to fill out a little bit more. Don't worry, but he's got skill. He can skate well. And the thing about the Swedish hockey players is in, even though they're smaller, they are extremely hard on the forecheck. They have a great motor. They have a great work ethic because that's just the way that they play in the SHL. You can't, if you play in the SHL, you cannot be a player that coasts around without the puck and just tries to all of a sudden show up when your team's on offense. You have to have a strong two-way presence. So just because he's smaller doesn't mean he's quote unquote soft and will be pushed around. Like he, he will, once he adds some weight, obviously stepping up to the NHL, even the AHL is a little bit different, but if he adds some weight, he will be able to handle himself in those puck battles. And that's one of the things that I have on this guy that he needs to work on is just adding some strength. So when he does get into, you know, those loose puck battles or when he's battling for space in the slot against bigger players in the NHL, it'll help him adjust a little bit more. So obviously, yes, he, they, these smaller players do need to get stronger, but they always add weight. They're, they're young kids. They're going to grow. They're going to naturally get bigger. Plus they're going to be hitting the gym. Like they're going to train. So don't worry about what, how much they weigh at, you know, 17, 18 years old. If you remember Oscar Laxon and when he was drafted, I think he was listed at like in the 130s in terms of, weight. Oh yeah. So like, <laughs> like, don't worry. These guys will grow. It's, it's going to be okay. There's no reason to freak out about their size right now. Nobody knew who he was. That, a third yeah. round pick at that too. I, I'm pretty sure his, uh, elite prospects profile just was not updated. I assume he didn't go to the combine to get the good old way in. Yeah. But yeah, uh, elite prospects actually has him listed as six foot. So I wouldn't call him super Small. undersized yeah. either. Uh, they all have similar frames. We're talking like five eleven, six foot. Um, I want to say that Noichev was their biggest pick out of all of them. I want to say he was around like six one, six two. But going into their last pick, this is the pick they got for taking on Ben Bishop, Linus Hoden. I believe it's Hoden. The S is silent. But an overager, basically a double overager. He's got a. Uh, early birthday, October 2nd, 2002. So he's an older player, 19 already, plays for Rogala. He played in the SHL for basically the full season on a really good team as well. Uh, same team as Marco Casper. Put up 11 points, so I'd say respectable, to say the least. Any thoughts on Hoden? Yeah, he, like you said, he's essentially a double overager. Um, he had... Again, I know people are going to hear 11 points in 49 games and go, like, what the heck? I mean, but that is respectable. He's on a good team. Uh, I really do – I love that they grab an overager every year because, one, the overager gives you a lot more flexibility. You can bring him over earlier. Like, obviously this – I don't know if it's kicked in yet. This new SHL agreement will come into play eventually for some of these guys because I think it's, what, U23 outside of the first round, they can't play in the AHL like the SHL wants them to be staying in Sweden. So it'll be interesting how and when that agreement comes into play, how everything kind of shakes out. But when you grab an overager and late in the round or late in the draft, like you're essentially just betting that you're going to be able to bring this guy to North America soon and have him join your organization, which is what I think is a technical, like a possibility there. When you look at 2002 birth years, he was fifth in terms of points behind guys like William Wallinder, Theodore Niederbach, Joel Nystrom, and 
William Eklund were the only guys ahead of him for 2002 birth years. So like, hmm. he, he is very respectable production yeah. for a 2002 guy. So pretty I think good company. Yeah, it's pretty good company to keep uh, to be kept in. So I like I said, the, all these Swedish guys, it'll be really interesting what their development path looks like for them. But I love the common theme there. Like you said, they all have like a similar body type. They all have similar, you know, offensive upsides that and a strong two-way presence. They provide some versatility. So we've, like you said, we've had three drafts of Adams now. We've kind of seen the themes that they have. But the biggest thing that I love about them is they're they're trusting their scouting staff. Their scouting staff has guys in certain ranges, and Adams doesn't appear to be stepping in. If you know, going back to the line and pick, they tell them that they want the, the goalie's the right guy at forty-one. Adams doesn't really seem to be interfering because I don't really think. If you weren't listening to your scouts, I don't think you'd take a goalie at 41 this year. So I think that's the best thing that we're starting to see out of Adams is that we all kind of thought he was just going to be a yes man for, you know, PSE right. when he first got hired. And it doesn't seem like he seems to be, I mean, for, I hate using buzzwords like this, but he seems to be building a good front office culture that seems to be like seeing Fortin break down in tears and have to stop before he can answer a question about Kevin yeah. Adams. Like that's that says something about the type of guy that Kevin Adams is. So like, it's, it's really cool to see what he's done in his three years. And I think this is, I was surprised they used all 11 picks this year, but again, the draft is a lottery. The more tickets you have, the better chance you have at hitting. So I'm kind of glad at the same time that he took all 11 players. Yeah. I was shocked that they ended up using all 11 because in a three year span from last year, this year and next year, 30 draft picks and it's 30 and counting because we don't know, what they're going to do next year. Are they going to trade Gergensen's or Oposo at the deadline? They're going to be free agents if they're out of it. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see what they do with all of these prospects because they're not going to be able to sign them all. Uh, I'm sure they would love to bring in all 30 of these guys and they all work out, but that's just not uh, yeah. realistic to expect that at all. Uh, if they hit on 10 15 of these guys and they're NHL players. That's fantastic. Uh, that's why you build this, this draft capital, right? You got to, with the more picks, you're going to hit on more guys in theory. Yeah. In and theory. I mean, the 2021 class is already looking pretty good with what's it? Five players now already having an ELC. That like, might be a rare class where every single player in the draft gets an ELC. Yeah. Like it's, All 11 yeah. guys. All 11 guys. I think really the only one that you might be worried about is Sardarian from that class because right. I think I think Kozak will get one. He was awesome. I think Novikov would have gotten one this year with Kisikov had he not had another year on his KHL deal mm. with Moscow. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him next year. But yeah, it seems like obviously Botterill only had a f- handful of draft classes to work with. So I know he, his reputation of being a bad drafter might have been a little bit premature, but it already feels like what Adams and his scouting staff are doing is immensely. I don't know if it's the word better is correct, but it seems to be having a much bigger impact because one Adams has traded up once and it was for JJ Paterka. He doesn't seem to be the guy to waste draft capital right now because he understands that his team is building. So it's a good thing to see, because like we said, the more prospects we have, the better odds we have at hitting on more of them, the more we hit on the better they will be in the future. So I I like that. He said he's going to be patient with his approach. And he's actually doing that. So he doesn't seem to be the type of guy to say one thing and then do the other. His his words back his actions back up his words, which I think is a good thing to see. Yeah, and I wonder if the expanded analytics staff has something to do with not trading up because they those guys weren't there when they trade up for JJ yeah. Paterka. But you see eleven picks this year, eleven picks last year. They don't trade any of them really. Um 
So that's nice to see. I think before, going into this, I would have hoped that they would have moved up maybe even in the later rounds to try and get a guy they like. But with the late round picks, odds are you're going to get the guy you like. Um, there's just so many guys and so much variance to from t to team to team on these lists. So it's maybe it's kind of unnecessary to even do that. But I was kind of hoping that they would maybe try and get another second round pick, especially after picking uh, leaning in there, maybe grab a defenseman, but we'll see what they do next year. I'm assuming they're probably going to go heavier on defense next year. They've picked like what four defensemen in the last two years out of all these picks. Yeah. So I'm hoping next year they put a little more emphasis on defense. Uh, are you ready to go into questions? Anything else you want to touch no, on? Yeah, before? I'm, I'm good with questions. Let's, let's get going. All right. Uh, first one, you guys are slacking with the Twitter questions. Only one. <laughs> Come on. Give us a, give us a follow on the Twitter, the cautiously optimistic podcast at CO underscore TCB underscore pod. Uh, let your voices be heard uh, from friend of the show curtis which scenario is more likely number one topias leaning in becoming an nhl starting goalie or victor noichev becoming a 20 goal nhl scorer so i think this is a tough one to answer because i think if no if noichev comes over i think he'll be a 20 goal scorer so i think that would be more likely but really this one it comes down to how likely do you think it is he comes over here and i know Kishikov has come over. Sardarian's already in North America. I think Poltapov has liked a few things on Sabre social media about him potentially joining the Sabres after his contract's over. So it does feel like the Russians they have drafted will come over. And I so I like their odds of getting Noichev to come over. So I'm going to go with him scoring 20 goals over Landon and being a number one goal. Yeah, goalies are just so out of whack. Like, you just never know. I'm sure Lennon will play NHL games, but oh, we sure. don't know about starting goaltender. Uh, it sounds like, from what Fortin said, it sounds like Noichev is willing to come over at some exactly. point. Exactly. Um, so I'm going to go with Noichev scoring 20 goals. I think that's a reasonable benchmark. And he's got a part two here. Here's a fun little experiment. Who was your guy for the second and third round picks that you wish they had picked instead of leaning in and Noichev? Hmm, interesting. So... Based off of how the board fell, I think at 41, I would have liked Lane Hudson. I think that would have been a nice upside pick. I know people were worried about his size, but I think his upside is just so high, and that would have been a nice defenseman for Buffalo to add to the system. So I'll go with him at 41, and then 74. I really, the guy who went right after Noichev, Vincennes Royer from Ottawa 67s, I, I really would have liked him. I am excited about Noichev, but Roar was just, he's a guy that I've kind of had a little bit of a draft crush on getting to watch him play in Ottawa a lot. I think he would have been a really strong pick had Buffalo had taken him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm looking at how the board fell here. Second round. I'm probably going with either Matthias Hovlid or Luca Del Bell Blues, probably Hovlid just because of the need, the organizational need for a right shot D and I'm pretty happy with the Noichev pick for the third round, but just for the sake of being different, I'm probably going to go with Adam Ingram, who ended up going 82nd yeah. to uh, Nashville. And because we only had one Twitter question, I decided to post a Instagram question sticker right as we were in the waiting room to get started. So let's take a 
look here and see how many questions we got. Okay, we got, we got a pretty good amount. I think I told you 10. Let's see, two, four, six. Yeah, we got 10 on the dot, so I was right. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, first one, Brock Frazier, 34. Signing a goalie will be tough. Do you think Blackwood or Nedeljkovich are available in a trade? Um, I would assume Blackwood is would be available. I would imagine that Nedeljkovic is not going to be available. I think that Detroit's going to want to have that solid tandem with Nedeljkovic and Huso. What do you think about Blackwood as a potential option? Yeah, I think Blackwood, like you said, I think the trade of Banachek definitely makes Blackwood available. And there was already rumblings of him being available before the draft. So I do definitely think he is available. He could be a viable option. It depends on cost. I really don't, I don't know. If you look at, you know, Matt Murray and the Buffalo being linked to potentially Jake Allen, it really doesn't feel like the trade market is exactly where Buffalo wants to go unless it's like a relatively cheap option. Like they were going to get paid a really premium asset to get Matt Murray. And I don't think Jake Allen would be that expensive. So if they're going to trade for someone, I think it would be there. And I agree with you completely on Adelkovich. I don't think Detroit uh, wants to go in with Vili Huso, a kind of unproven starter. I know we were happy in Buffalo here to chase after him if we could have, because we need a goalie like that. But Detroit, Stevie Y, I don't think he would just throw out Nadelkovich after the couple of strong, ish seasons that he's had the last two years, one with Carolina, one with Detroit for uh, just to completely ride all of his money on an unproven starter in Huso. Yeah. I, I wouldn't mind Blackwood. Um, the whole anti-vax thing at the beginning of the season kind of scares me for the, the culture that they're trying to build, but he did end up getting the, the shot. So I don't think he's going to be, I haven't really heard his name connected to the Sabres a whole no. lot. I feel like they're probably going to go with a, James Reimer or Braden Holtby, yeah. those seem, or even a Cam Talbot, but it doesn't sound like Bill Guerin is very keen on trading him. He got into some yeah. beef with Talbot's agent today. Yeah, that's going to uh, be in interesting. Press conference, so that's going to be an interesting story to watch. Uh, but back with goaltending, uh, Nick Simon eight eight zero five asks, which goalie do you think we're actually going to end up with? I'm going to go with Braden Holtby. I feel like. You're going to see Kemper get signed somewhere. Campbell is going to go. Uh, all of the trade targets are going to be picked over. I don't. Th- I think Braden Holpe is going to be at prom without a dance partner here, uh, and he's going to have to sign with Buffalo. Yeah, I think Holpe is my guy too, but just to be different, I'll say James Reimer. I think those are really the only two realistic options left. I don't, I don't think Montreal is too quick to want to trade Jake Allen because, one, they don't know what's going on with Carey Price. Right. So I, I think really, like you said, if they're not trading for Reimer, it just feels like Braden Holtby because like you said, there's not really a whole lot of teams out there that are looking for a goalie. I know Holtby had a little bit of a better year with Dallas this year, but he was bought out by Vancouver. Uh, I don't know how many people are going to be vying for his services. Plus Buffalo has the salary to kind of overpay him. They could really realistically give him the two-year $4.3 million a year contract that Vancouver gave him a couple years ago and not sweat it out at all because they have so much cap room. So I think it just seems like a pretty seamless marriage there. So I, I think Holpe would be my guy as well. Yeah. And then we have a couple of questions here from Ali Marie zero zero. Why didn't they take the Russian dude? I would imagine that this is Danila Yurov. Um, I would probably say they just liked Noah Osland a little more. Uh, we again reiterating. I don't think that 
Gura was actually getting any consideration at 16 from what we were hearing. Uh, it seems like Ostland was the guy, and she's also asking about the goalie situation. Uh, I think they're probably going to go with the UFA. I feel like they're not going to want to burn any assets. Austin, you went with a trade. Uh, what do you think, free agent or trade? I think the most realistic option and the option that makes the most sense based on where Adams has the Sabres is free agency. But the fact that he tried hard for Murray makes me think that he's not necessarily against a trade. If it's literally a guy with one or two years left on his contract, it does not feel like they are going to be going after a guy that has term on his contract, which you know what I'm okay with right now. Just go out and get a bridge goalie that can kind of let your team start to win a little bit more as they get ready to take that next step. So I'll go with free agency, but I think a trade is a little bit more realistic than what people think, just because look at what Adams has tried to do with Murray. I think they're open to anything. Adams yeah. always said, it's one of his buzzwords. We're open to anything. Uh, they're going to do what they can to improve the net. Now, a lot of people were freaking out when Craig Anderson got signed <laughs> that they weren't going to do anything or when they traded for Braden, not Braden Holpe, they got the Ben Bishop contract and thought that that meant they weren't going to address the goalie situation. Yeah. They're trying. It seems like they're trying hard. Um, the Matt Murray situation, like Murray can still play. He's not a, he's not dead yet. Yeah. Uh, so, and they were trying to the killing two birds with one stone with that trade. You're getting your starting goaltender for a couple years. And you're also trading up in the draft. It's a real shame that that didn't happen, but they're going to move on and hopefully they find something suitable. Uh, now some more draft centered questions. Tyler underscore. Rampadu 608. How long until we think Matthew Savoy is going to play in the NHL? It wouldn't shock me if he's, he gets like a little brief tryout at the beginning of the year, like nine games or less. Then he goes back to Winnipeg. What do you think? I think if there was a player who's going to get their nine game trial, it is Savoy. I wonder how willing they are to do that, considering there's so many like young players from Rochester who are probably going right. to battle for spots. Maybe he doesn't, but I think at the very least he gets the Dylan Cousins treatment, which is one more year in the WHL. And then he gets every opportunity to earn a spot mm -hmm. because I mean, him and cousins were taken and, you know, cousins was seventh. He's nine. I think they're both very similar players in his draft year. He had, you know, 90 points in the WHL. I think he's going to absolutely tear the league up next year. So I think at the, Earliest would be this year, like you said, with the nine-game trial, but I, I think he has a chance at earning a full-time spot as early as next next season. I don't have the list in front of me, but I would imagine that he's going to represent Canada at the WJC this summer. And if not this summer, probably the winter one, not the yeah. rescheduled one. So that, I mean, honestly, all three of their first-round picks are probably going to be at the World Juniors. Isaac Rosine as well. Yeah. I'm not sure any of the later guys, but there's definitely going to be a strong Sabres presence at the World Juniors. Uh, Will, Will underscore Wertheim. With everyone already taken, who should we expect? Not necessarily wanton. Not, uh, yeah, we already went over that. Appreciate the question, though, Will. And, okay, and Will, another question, uh, redemption here. Is Noah Ostland not Asplund 2.0? Small Swedish forward and look the same. I'm going to go with no. I think that Oslin has much higher offensive upside and 
speed to his game than Asplund at the same age. Oh, a hundred percent. I think, you know, again, like I said, we kind of get into that thing with Swedish players that they're all strong defensive presence. They all play that two way. But if you look at Asplund, I know he showed a little bit of offensive pop this year to start the year, but he is a dominant defensive presence. And like you said, Oslin has a way, way higher offensive upside, in my opinion. Oslin's passing alone will allow him to produce more points than Asplund does at the NHL level. So while Asplund is a great defensive player, I think Oslin's floor could be what Asplund had. Like a poor man's Asplund, because I don't think Oslin will be as good as Asplund is defensively, but yeah. he can definitely pr- be a solid defensive presence while producing points. Jeez, you, like if you combine them, they're, they'd be the super the super Swede. But yeah, I, I would say similar, but I would definitely give the edge to Noah Oslin. Asplund's carved a pretty nice rollout in Buffalo. Absolutely. I wouldn't. Uh, that's not a bad thing if they're similar. No, no, uh, no. Okay, M- Mikey B44, thoughts on the analytics team uh, and how they seemingly handled the draft. Uh, the round two and three picks were very highly ranked, uh, go to assume, because of the analytics team. And then he asks, in Sam Ventura, do we trust? Yeah, it's good to see that they're involved. And they're leaning on him heavily. And it seemed like when they had their quote-unquote analytics team before, when it was just Jason Nightingale in a conference room all by himself, that they're actually like taking the analytics into account for all these picks. When they were talking about Noichev, uh, the analytics team put a first-round grade on, then they went to go watch him, and they, their eyes matched up with what the analytics team was talking about. So... Although I, I don't know how big analytics uh, played a factor into the goaltender being selected in the second round, but the Noichev pick, you know, for a fact, they they leaned on him for that. Uh, any thoughts on the analytics team? Yeah, like I said, with Ventura, you know, and Galmani Jr. and who the other people that they've been adding, they're assembling a bit of a super team with the analytics department. And based off everything we heard from the front office today is they have full trust in him and them, and they do strongly value their opinion. So, I mean, yeah, it's weird that Buffalo went from literally having Nightingale as the only guy to now one of the more extensive analytics departments in the NHL, but it's what good teams are starting to do. And it's it's refreshing to see Buffalo start to, you know, kind of, get with the times all right a couple more uh tony silva asked what do you think picking the goaltender in the second round means for eric portillo and devin levi i don't think it means much kevin adams said in his post draft presser that uh don't read too much into it basically they're trying to find a guy and I, they're high on all these guys they're high on lucanen they've got four very quality goalie prospects right now and who knows if Eric Portillo is going to sign or not, but definitely softens the blow. If he does decide to go hit free agency, then you still have three solid prospects. Yeah. I don't think it means much of anything. When you look at Portillo and Levi and Lucan and they're all in there, you know, early twenties getting closer to being potentially pro ready. Lena Nin's only 18. So he's about four or five years away from even being under consideration in my opinion. Absolutely. And then last question from Kyle Irvin. Any other teams who you thought had a good draft? I'm going with Seattle. They're an easy win simply because Matthew, not Matthew Savoy, Shane Wright ended up falling in their lap at the fourth overall pick. But yeah, they're definitely 
my team that had a very solid draft. They got Jagger Furcus at 35th overall. Uh, David Goyette in the late second round. Ty Nelson as well with the first their first pick in the third round. And I overager that I like quite a bit, Tucker Robertson. Uh, those are some of the picks that I'm really – if I was a Kraken fan, which I almost was uh, because of my frustrations with the Sabres, uh, very exciting draft out of them. I would call it an underwhelming first draft for them last year, but they got – they essentially have their top two centers set for the first 10, 15 years of their franchise now, and they've added a lot of quality skill to their prospect pool. Yeah, I, I really like Seattle's, but I, and I'm going to go with a, with a team that kind of was a little brunt of the joke during the draft because some of their moves made no sense. But I really did like what Chicago did with all the draft picks that they did acquire. I mean, you look at their first six picks, Kevin Korczynski, really strong defenseman. They got Frank Nazar. Sam Rinzel has a chance to be something very special. He's just raw and needs some time to cook and put everything together. I love Paul Ludwinski, Ryan Green, Gavin Hayes. And they, I think they did pretty well considering, you know, they, they, they traded Kirby doc. They traded Alex to break it. They seem to have really no direction because for a team that's rebuilding, they traded two of their younger assets, but I do like the picks that they did make with all their extra draft capital this year. All uh, I'm looking at it right now, their three first round picks acquired via trade, their two second round picks acquired via trade, and their three third round picks acquired via trade. <laughs> they they had no draft picks. Nope. Their seventh yeah. round pick is their only pick that they owned themselves. Yeah. That's crazy. I, I didn't know. even realize that. Wow. But yeah, that's insane. Uh. Korchinski at seven was a little bit of a reach for me, but picking Nazar at 13, like if you swap those, I think that's really good value. And Sam Renzel is a good swing at the 25th pick. And that, that pick uh, 25, getting that from Toronto by taking on Peter Mrazek, that was something that I was, I've been cooking in my mind as a potential Sabres trade for a while, trading pick 41 to move up to 25 by taking on Mrazek and then like buying him out or something. Yeah. But yeah, definitely a good draft for the Blackhawks, some unexpected trades for sure. What uh, Before we sign off here, Kirby Dot, what do you think about trading him to Montreal for 13th overall? I In a vacuum, I don't like it at all because I do think Kirby Dock still has a chance to put everything together and become a pretty solid NHL player. But in reality, if you look at Dock's production, you know, after you know the injury that he suffered at the World Juniors, he's kind of seemed to taper off a little bit. And I'm not going to say he's in the Casey Middlestat territory yet, because I think Doc has one more year before we start talking about him in that light. But if you could sit here and tell me today that if we traded Casey Middlestat for the 13th overall pick, I think I'd be pretty happy. Oh, I'd be ecstatic. Yeah. So given the circumstances, I do think it's actually a pretty decent trade. But at the same time, I think it's a year too early to be giving up on Doc the way that they did. Yeah, I agree. But the thing is, if he takes another step back, which you can't yep. blame him yep. for taking a step back, if they're literally tearing the whole thing down, yep, uh, they're not going to have many quality players for him to play with. So it's not crazy to think that he like if they trade him a year from now, they're probably not getting anywhere near a 13th pick. So exactly. So I, I can think see as, why they did it. Yeah, as crazy as it was, it actually does kind of make sense. All right. And do you have anything else you want to touch on before we sign off here? No, I think we did a pretty good job of covering everything. I mean, we'll have dev camp coming soon and 
Sabres content is going to be back on a consistent basis. So it's exciting. Yes. Dev camp starting next, next Wednesday. And also coincidentally start free agency. So it'll be a fun week next week. The off season is in full swing and Again, Austin, we appreciate you for coming on. Be on the lookout for the future of the 716 podcast. Follow him on Twitter. And again, follow this podcast account as well so you can get your Twitter questions in. You can find me on Twitter at JoeTCBNHL. We'll hopefully have a nice free agency primer slash recap episode for you next week. Luke will be back. And hopefully we'll have some more guests on. Love having guys like Curtis and Austin on to talk about the draft. We'll definitely have them on hopefully more consistently next year. Talk about the, the gigantic prospect pool that the Sabres have built up. So again, thanks Austin for coming on and we will be back hopefully next week for another episode of the cautiously optimistic podcast. Thanks. Thanks.